Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. Welcome to So That Just Happened, a podcast for those who have lost their person and want to find themselves. I'm Carly Cooper, a single mom, widow, coach, author, and chronic truth seeker. My superpower is finding the funny, the hope, and the silver lining in any shit situation. This podcast is for the purpose of education only and is not a replacement for therapy. If you need additional support, please seek out a trained professional for help with your specific situation. Let's get to it, shall we? For this week's episode, I had the pleasure to interview a dear friend of mine, Marnie Adler, who is a force to be reckoned with. Let me just say that. She has done it all. Over her 20 plus year career, Marnie has developed, directed, produced, and or cast numerous heavy hitting formatted series like Four Weddings Canada, syndicated docudramas, masterminds, cold blood, competition shows like MasterChef, Cash Cab, and The Great Canadian Baking Show, as well as original live action children's programming shows like Cooked, which my son was on, by the way, and gaming show in my parents' garage. She ran her own branded content and talent coaching service, helping to build the creative narrative for brands of major international companies and public relations firms. And she is a certified Pilates instructor for over 10 years and Marnie teaches mat work, reformer, and tower-based Pilates. She has recently launched a subscription-based website with access to over 250 mat work classes for all levels. Let me tell you, I am taking it. She is kicking my ass in all the best ways, and I love and hate her for it. So please enjoy this interview. I think you're going to get some really good takeaways from a type A ambitious go-getter of a woman who also shows a vulnerable side. Please enjoy. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of So That Just Happened. And I have the pleasure of talking with a very dear friend of mine, uh, Marnie Adler, nay, Sugarman. And um, we have lots to talk about always. We're going to try and rein it in and keep it on point. Um, and if you, if anybody knows Marnie, and many people do, um, you know that she is an incredibly strong, independent, I call her my Brie Vandekamp because she's the one who cooks for me and, you know, and my son, because without her, he wouldn't eat. And uh, she's a type A get shit done kind of person. Really good to have in your corner. And very scary to have on the other side of that. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I see this personality come out in our friendship. You are a fierce and loyal friend. And you were very, very instrumental in helping me get through um, the Shiva of my late husband. Um, you produced the shit out of it. And it was during COVID still. So, you ran that like a well-oiled machine, and I'm so grateful for that. Um, but I also see that this is how you operate in your life. You know, you are a TV producer, you're a Pilates instructor, you do like all the things, and 
you manage your career in this way, you manage your family in this way. And, you know, sadly you lost your father. What was it? Nine or 10 years ago? It's 10 years ago this December. Yes. Um, so I just want to chat with you about that if you're comfortable with that. And just, you know, for someone who is so strong, because I feel that I'm strong too. And I feel like, you know, did we have a different way of grieving? Not that one is right or wrong, but how did you grieve the loss of your father? And was it in that same strong type A kind of way, or did you show up differently? And hi, Um, by the way. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Let's just get right into it. Let's get right into it. No, no, it's good. It's good. I mean, I really, talking about my dad and talking about grief is not something that I shy away from. So I'm super comfortable to talk about it. Um, I think that, you know, as far as grieving goes, I think it's very different for everybody, depending on the process that leads up to that grief Mm -hmm. um, and leads up to the passing. My father was sick for a very long time. He had a, a disease called Parkinson's plus, which masks itself as Parkinson's at onset, but it, um, mimics Parkinson's. It's not actually Parkinson's and it manifests, more like a Lou Gehrig's. So Mm -hmm. watching him um, over the years get worse and worse and things add on, like adding fuel to fire, you know, as you could say, and then be bedridden for the last two years of his life. You know, there wasn't, um, that's not how I want to remember my dad. Mm -hmm. Um, But leading up to those points in his illness is what I mean, I think I started grieving then. I think I started Mm -hmm. grieving the process long before he passed. And there was a very, there was a, there was a heaviness and then there was a lightness in his passing. There was a, a a space to breathe. There was um, a moment where we knew that he was no longer in discomfort, whatever embarrassment he suffered over, you know, the last years of his life that, you know, were horrible for him was done. And there was a peace that came over. I think for me, for sure, I can't speak for my sister and my mom, but I, I, I feel like all of us just wanted him to be at peace, which for anybody with any illness, I think that's the ultimate goal. It's the people who they leave behind. And I mean, you and I have talked a lot about how I feel like I, I was prepared all my life for not the passing of him, but the passing of individuals in general and how I, um, how I handled death in general is something that was learned over time. I think it's different when it's somebody who's super close to you, but I think that it lent itself much like you as a coach, were very prepared to handle certain steps mm-hmm. that came your way. I think there was a preparation that my parents, um, maybe knowingly or unknowingly were very much creating not somebody who was desensitized to death, but somebody who learned that um, death was a part of life Mm -hmm. and that you had to, um, you had to learn about it at a young age and you had to be a part of it and you had to see it and you had to appreciate life and death and be there for people in life and be there for people in death. And so watching my father sort of go down, I mean, just not have a life anymore. There was a piece. I did not deal with it though. I didn't deal with it at all. I don't think. And I can remember that it was on the third day of Shiva that I got a call 
from a friend of mine in the business. And she didn't know that my, my dad had passed away and it was Shiva. And she asked me to come and produce this series. And it was going to start like three days after Shiva. And it was literally that, that I, you know, jump started right from Shiva into a show and, um, had a great, amazing group of very supportive people around me who, some of whom probably didn't know that my father had literally just passed away. And I dove head first into that, like my type A personality <laughs> and, um, yeah, very spot on introduction for sure. <laughs> and, um, and, and then at the end of that show, I can remember we had a cake, we had, it was a six week, it was a six week shoot. It was fast and, and, and and amazing. And it involved kids and it was very lighthearted and there was a cake and I walked to my car and everybody had left for the day. And I got into my car and I started wailing Mm -hmm. like uncontrollable crying. And I called my mom and I said to her, I just realized that daddy died. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's like, can be a really common reaction too for us, I will put myself in the category two type a control freaks in the best kind of way. Um, because similarly I dove in, I mean, our situations were obviously different. You, you know, your father was a slow, long decline and my situation was very quick and sudden and unexpected. Um, but I also distracted myself heavily. And even though, you know, I dealt with it to some degree and I had the acceptance and the awareness, maybe not full acceptance, but, you know, I still like dove into the work of death, like the the forms and the claims and the tying up loose ends and getting things into my name. And then I decluttered my house and renovated it and like all the things. And so it was like a good seven months before of like full distraction and definitely like had the feels throughout, but it wasn't until really like January of 2022 when everything was done and the renovation was complete and I had like nothing else to sort of take my attention away And that's when I like sat in the mud of it and like was just like, oh, yeah, this is what it's like to feel. And so, you know, you said you said that you sort of grew up knowing and being raised to regard death as just like a normal part of your life. So a two part question, why do you think your parents did that? Like, I know you said, like, it may have been intentional or not intentional, but like, is that how they grew up or like, do you think that? it was something that they were really just trying to normalize for you. That's part A. And part B, um, how do you think that helped or hindered you when it came to grieving your dad? And like, again, no blame on your parents. No, I feel like it's such a good question. And I think about it all the time as I was raising my kids and when my father passed away, how I would approach that with them and um, and and Stephen, my husband, and I have talked about it um, a lot. Um, growing up in a small Jewish community meant that that community did everything for the people in the community. So my mother was always with her friends planning shiv- shiva meals and going over to serve shiva meals and 
we were a part of going to the Shiva and paying our respects. And my father at one point in, uh, in many ways that they, they, they dedicated themselves to the community in many ways. And one of the ways that my father dedicated himself was that he became the head of the cemetery committee. And so in Kingston, if you died, you called my dad. So like when the phone rang, yeah, you're like the first people to know that somebody in the community had died. And then he like steps into action. Now he wasn't one of the people, there were also people who dedicated themselves to preparing the body for funeral because that we didn't have a Benjamins or a Papermans or anything like that. Like there was a committee of community people who dedicated their lives to ensuring the that the passing of these individuals in this small community were 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 done under the under the guidance of and 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 rules and laws of kashrut is it kashrut i don't even know if it's kashrut because that's food let's just say yes i don't trigger trigger anyway (laughs) so so you know that respect for for life in death was significant and i can remember my mother taking me to my uncle Sheldon's funeral, my grandmother's brother's funeral. I couldn't have been more than seven years old, but that's what you did. You went to the funeral, no matter what the situation was, you showed up at the funeral, you showed up at the Shiva. My father counted as 10 men for a minion. He was there in the morning. He was there at night. You just showed up. And I don't know any differently. So when my father was dying, it wasn't up to me to be that person for my family. Although, you know, when I go to a Shiva, I go directly to the kitchen. I'm like, what can I do? Can I plate something? Can I change something? <laughs> like I, I, yeah. I, I, I want to be present for the people, but I also want to help. Like there's so much that can be done to organize and arrange. You've made jokes about that before about how I no, but honest. <laughs> yeah, no, honestly though, like I make um, jokes about it, but I'm also like being the recipient of that and seeing that like you at work. I mean, I've seen it just in our friendship without, you know, the, the Shiva and the emotion around it, like just a regular Sunday night, I've seen it and I appreciate it so much because it's so not me, but it is really like when you look at it from a community coming together and rallying around people to support them and do for them when they are not in the headspace to do, it's a beautiful thing and it's a beautiful way to be raised, I would think. Um, But I'm also just, again, curious, like, does that put you in a place of just like, put your head down, put the blinders on and not give yourself chance to feel? Um, And again, not, not that that's a good or bad thing. I'm just like curious if like you're so in work focused mode of like, get the job done. Um, did that like now being on the other side of it and being the one who's going through it, how did that affect you or impact the way that you grieved for your dad or didn't grieve for your dad right away? I think that I, I think that I grieved for him for so long in advance of him mm-hmm. dying that I was so prepared I wasn't prepared for as many pecan pies that would be at the Shiva house. <laughs> They're still probably frozen in <laughs> your I probably freezer. have one in my freezer. <laughs> you do pull um, those out at award shows. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Delicious. Um, I was really prepared. I was, I had a harder time watching my dad suffer mm-hmm. than I did 
after he passed. I definitely had grieved that moment. There's all sorts of, listen, my father did not uh, have any pain in the end. He, you know, we, we, we brought our children into the hospital room when he was in palliative. They sat with him. They sat with us. They were back and forth from Toronto. We hid nothing. You know, I tell this funny joke, Mia was five years old and my father had um, an oxygen mask in his nose that was giving him like 10% oxygen. And Mia would, was sitting on her iPad watching a show like you know, it's the dead of winter. And, you know, Stephen had brought them in for a couple of days. My sister and I like went and lived in Kingston for the last two weeks while he was in palliative. And then Stephen brought the kids back and forth. My sister's kids were much younger. It wasn't a thing. Um, and, uh, and Mia's sitting in the chair and you think that she knows nothing and she sees nothing. And then we went through this agonizing conversation, me, my sister, my mother, and the palliative care nurse as to, is this oxygen keeping him alive? Does he need this in his nose? Is it, should we take this out? Should we like, and we, we eventually took this oxygen out and we're staring at him thinking, this is it. We've taken this 10% oxygen out. We're staring, staring, staring. And all of a sudden Mia walks into the room. She's five years old and goes, Hey, who took the thing out of granddaddy's nose? <laughs> we all started. <laughs> we all, and if you know Mia, you know, yes. the zero filter. And this is like, yes. and we all start laughing because we literally thought we were going to kill him in that moment. And she just, she took all the air out of the room and just Mm -hmm. Let us just realize that like, this is okay to be around. Death is okay to be around. She's here as a five-year-old witnessing it from her perspective. Mm -hmm. I'm witnessing at the time I was 37 and I was seeing it from my perspective. My mother was seeing it from a perspective of a caregiver who had done it for 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I think that everybody sees a particular death, a different way. Uh -huh. I had grieved up until that point. I, I cried a lot after he died. And then I jumped in head first into that job. And then I cried after, and I've cried for 10 years since on yeah. certain occasions. I see my father was in the steel business. I see a truck that's from, I feel like he's sending me a sign. Like mm -hmm. I, firmly believe in the grieving process taking its time like going over time i have zero regrets about the closure that i had with him i i was with him um up until the night that he died he did not clearly want us in the room when he did he the palliative care nurse said to us guys you got to let it, you got to walk away for a little bit and in the moment when we walked away and lori and i went back to our hotel that was the night he died. Some mm -hmm. people just need their space to do yeah. what they need to do for them. And that was my father's way. And it was very, um, you know, were we angry that we weren't there? Nope. Mm -hmm. um, we had been there and he needed to do what he needed to do. And I had spent my last birthday with him in palliative care and had that moment with him where, you know, he, he looked me in the eyes for the last time before he closed his eyes. And I said, blink twice if you love me. And he did. And then I said, blink twice if uh, you wish me happy birthday. And he did. And he closed his eyes and he never opened them again. Mm -hmm. I had my moments. I had those moments, but I cry all the time. 
Yeah. I cry on the anniversary. I cry. I mean, I don't think grieving has to be done. I just think that I was really prepared for death. Yeah. And I feel like um, I wanted to prepare my kids for that too. My kids were, like I said, in the hospital room and they were at the funeral. They were at the cemetery. They heard what I had to say, what my sister had to say about him. They, We've talked about it for years since. Um, there was a little discussion about whether or not the girls would be at the cemetery. And I was adamant that they'd be at the cemetery. And each of my friends uh, took one of them and sort of was in charge of them. And then... Um, and then all of a sudden, again, Mia, <laughs> you know, out of the blue, while we're covering the grave with with dirt, says, I want to shovel dirt on granddaddy's grave. And I'm like, great, you should. It's like these are the moments where we cannot determine what is best for our kids in certain situations. We have to open it up and, you know, let it breathe. And, and I'm glad that my parents did that for me. I hope that I did the right thing by my children. And we talk about my dad all the time. We talk about it when it's his birthday, when it's Father's Day sucks, as I'm sure Father's Day sucks in your house. It's one of those it's one of those things that you don't prepare yourself for the firsts, the elements that go by that are the highs and lows. And like I said, like a truck could be driving on the highway and I could be, I could have a moment and that's fine. Like that mm -hmm. is totally yeah. fine for me, but that is my type A personality, like completely allowing myself to let go, which no, when he first died and I took that gig, I did not. I absolutely, like you, dove into putting anything in my way that would allow me to just continue on and live. And then I had my moment and then the moments come when they come. Yeah. And I think that, you know, you and I are also very similar, but in, in many ways, but for me, it was like, I knew that I, in order for me to get stuff done, that is really important. And like, I didn't have a choice because I'm now the only parent who has to take care of my son, the dogs, the house, the payments, all of it. Like I had nobody to sort of do all that. And I knew myself enough that if I completely let myself stop, it's going to be very hard for me to get back up and, and gain the momentum again. And so I knew that the crash would come, but I needed to get a lot of stuff that needed to get done first. And then I would allow the crash because I'll eventually get back up, but I knew that it was going to hit me hard and I couldn't afford to be hit hard yet. And maybe that's similar to you that eventually you get there. Um, and it's not like I'm down for long and no judgment. Like I, again, I still have, you know, for me, it's been just over two years. Um, but you know, there are some days that are super easy and great. And then there are days when I least expected or moments when I least expected or things that I didn't think would trigger me. Like I literally cannot watch anything now <laughs> without crying, whether it's just a goodbye or, you know, it doesn't even have to be so on the nose. It's just like, I love love and I want to feel, and I feel things so hard. And, you know, so it's changed me in that way. But, you know, I think that 
look, I, I know your, I have the pleasure of knowing your girls and your family. Well, you've done, you and Steven have done an incredible job with them. They're great girls. Um, very empathetic, very open <laughs> Mia in particular, <laughs> God yeah. bless her. Um, but no, I think it's great. And I think everybody, like you said, handles it in different ways, but I also know families and, and no judgment, but who don't talk about it at all. And I think it's about, you know, really reading the room and knowing what your kids can handle when based on their personalities and how they were raised. And, you know, for me, like my son, he doesn't want to talk about it a lot and he's shut down. It doesn't mean we don't go there occasionally, but I also know that I have to tread more lightly and I have to handle it in different ways. So, um, you know, I, I think the fact that you talk about everything and you give the permission to handle it in whichever way feels right. And for me, I handle uncomfortable situations with dark humor, <laughs> you sure right did. or wrong. I, I mean, I, I, can, I have to tell you, I rocked those... <laughs> the shit up and like, you it did. wasn't you... <laughs> like, honestly, like I wasn't trying to be disrespectful at all. Um, and I think people who really know me and who knew yeah. Mark and who knew Mark and I together knew that he wouldn't want it any other way. I wasn't being disrespectful and like, okay, whatever. But, you know, like I just step into the role of comforting other people and, you know, and they, you know, even though it was a shock for me as well and I wasn't expecting it, I, I knew that Mark was in a dark place that other people may not have realized. And so my way of handling any kind of uncomfortable situation is to go into the somewhat inappropriate dark humor kind of route. And that helps me. And I know that Mark was laughing at it. <laughs> like I yeah. just, I know that. Um, but obviously not everybody's like that. And and you just have to find your way. And I think that you've done an incredible job doing that. And, you know, like you said, grief doesn't go away. It just, no. it, it lightens up and it shows up when you least expect it. But, you know, I say the, the, the more tears you shed just shows how much you loved that person. And, you know, I think that that can be a beautiful thing too. Yeah. I mean, nobody, nobody does shiva like you, babe. Like, well, I, I hope I don't have to do it again. I don't no, want to be never, on the circuit, but, but you, <laughs> you, you, you handled yourself with such I mean, we talked about the fact that you should do a documentary called Grieving with Grace because I've never in my life experienced, I mean, I was around a lot in that time, like immediately after and was the, 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 I had the benefit of the dark humor and some of the conversations we had, I can remember. And I, I, I still, I, I laugh, I laugh about it because Mark would absolutely have loved to have heard some of the shit that was coming out of your mouth. And, um, I and think he did. I really he think did. he did. He really did. He definitely did. And, um, and no, it's every, every child handles it differently. Um, everybody has to give their own permission to feel what they feel when they're ready to feel it. And then when they're ready to have those conversations, I mean, I, I, I like, there's something, I think it was a couple of years ago and I didn't even bring it up. And it's like, you know, December 2nd, my father died on December 2nd. So, you know, 
Mia had said something or Sam, I don't even remember who it was, but somebody said like, I'm really, really, for some reason, I'm really thinking about granddaddy. I don't think they remember that he died on December 2nd. I don't, I was, they were too young to remember what the date was. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a, there's an emotional attachment to, to dates and places and things and, and, you know, uh, we we can't prepare ourselves for them, but we have to give ourselves permission to feel them when we are in that moment. And you have done that tenfold. Like you and you're and and the best thing that you do is is telling people, I'm in that moment right now and I don't want to talk. Or I'm in, yeah. you know, I'm feeling that today and it's not a good day. And that is that's the permission that you've given yourself to hold, you know, to say to people you know, please, I've, I've got this. I just need to have this moment and I'll be back when I'm back. Yes. And yeah. And I appreciate people respecting that too, because some people want to be surrounded in those moments with other people and some people don't. And I'm one of those people that I love my connections and I need my connections and I need my people, but I need my people after I've given myself that space to just sort of feel and have my moments of just disconnect because I need that too. So it is important to know what you need and then also to be able to feel safe enough to articulate that and and hope that you have the right people around you who are going to respect that. So I wanted to ask you because you're obviously super strong. You're an incredible giver. You are one of the most loyal friends I have and I know. And I know for me that it's often hard as as also a fellow good giver. Um, it's hard for me to ask for help and to accept it and to receive it. So I want to know from you because you're such a great giver and that comes so easily to you and it's just who you are, do you ever ask for help and do you accept it? Are you just buttering me up for another meal? <laughs> well, what I love so much is when I ask you if you want me to help clean up and you're like, no. And I'm like, okay, great. At least I <laughs> That's right. Um, I am terrible at asking for help. Yeah. Terrible. I'm terrible at it. I, I, and why do you think that I, is? Um, I don't know. Um, look, there are certain things that come with a type A personality and I like to do things your way, my way. And, you know, my mother always said, if you want something done right, do it yourself. Yes. So it's easier because if I see somebody else do it and it's not the way I want to do it, it drives me crazy. So mm -hmm. I'm just happier to do it myself. <laughs> like if, like if anybody like I had this, I, this, there was this one time when like, you know, somebody said, oh, I'll, you know, like I'll bring the fruit to your house for dessert. And like, sometimes I hate doing dessert and I'm like, amazing. Okay. You do the fruit. And they showed up with like the fruit in the pints unwashed. And I'm like, that's not doing the fruit. Like <laughs> right. you're doing the fruit, you're washing it at home, you're drying it at home, you're cutting it, you're putting it on a platter and you're showing up with the platter like fucking done. Yeah. So, like I see that to me, I was like, I should have just done the fruit because now I'm doing the fruit now. And, and you're I'm, just resentful about it. I'm resentful of the fruit. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get it. So that's the best example of why I would, you know, just rather do things for myself. But I also... Um, I get, I, there are things that I absolutely don't have, like that I'm not strong, like that are not my strengths. 
and that I'm very happy for other people to take on. Um, Name you know, one. I'm travel. Oh, okay. travel. Like when, when, when we're going somewhere or we're going to book something, I don't care. I'm like, just tell me where we're going and mm-hmm. I will pack a bag. Yeah. Steven does that really well. I just need, you know, a loose itinerary and, you know, whatever. And I'll throw my shit together and I'm ready to go. I want nothing to do with booking, planning, or arranging travel. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. fair. That's, that's, that's fair. like the one thing, but when it comes to the rest of my life, yeah. back away. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, but I, like I come by and honestly, like as a television producer, like we just, we, we are a breed of human beings that just like to organize and do, and we're, uh, we're good under pressure. We deal with crisis like really well. Like I just, it's just easier to do it myself. Not that I don't want people to offer, Offering is really nice. I like a good offer. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't mean I'm going to take you up on it, but it doesn't mean that I didn't appreciate the offer. That's why we work so well. Because right. I will always offer and you will always turn me down and we're yeah. both happier for it. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, we're exactly. a match made. As long as you return my Ziploc containers. I always return your Ziploc always. and they're washed. I don't That's just right. bring them to a second location and have you wash them. <laughs> I am right. like, I wash them. You know that if they're washed and returned, they will get refilled and redelivered. I'm no dummy. (laughs) Um, Okay. So is there anything that you would do differently now that you didn't do back then when it came to grieving your dad? Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I definitely would have taken a beat. I would have, I probably should not. I mean, I, I did a great job when I did the job, but I, I think like we're so much more aware of mental health and and the way that we need to respond to certain scenarios that for that six week gig, as much as I loved it, and I was working with some of the greatest people and I had the best time, I probably in hindsight should have allowed myself to grieve first and work later, but I'm not like that. You know, I don't regret taking the job. I don't regret doing the job. I don't regret any of that, but you know, who did I not like, did I leave my mother to grieve by herself? Did my sister not have access to me? Did I not give my kids access? Like, did I, did I not, what didn't I do in that six weeks when I was dedicating myself to my job right after my father passed away that I didn't, that I missed? What did I miss? Did I miss anything? Did did Mm -hmm. something happen in that time that I, I, I didn't see? I don't know. Um, I don't think it would have been better for me. I don't think I'm thinking about myself in this situation because I literally, like you, have to throw myself headfirst into something and move on fast um, and deal with it later. Like I yeah. give myself permission. It's whenever it happens, and it could, and it happened in the car on the last day when we wrapped, and I bawled my eyes out, and I had my moment, and I've had many moments since. But I always think, did I miss out on helping in other ways? with other people that were also mourning the loss of my father. And would that have helped me as well? So, I mean, it's hindsight. And and the truth is, is everybody has to experience grief in their own way on their own time. And it's not on you to make it better or easier for somebody. I mean, yes, we can all support and we can all be there to comfort, but everybody has to experience it and go through it in their own way on their own time. 
And that's what I'm learning too, especially with my son. Like I can't force him to feel or talk about or, you know, any of it. He, he's got to do it in his own way in his own time, because I'm very, we're very similar in that way. Like if somebody asked me to talk about it when I wasn't ready to, I would shut down. And, and I really didn't talk about it with many, um, certainly not in the way that I'm doing it now for like a good year and a bit. Like I unplugged from social media and from, you know, connecting with many, um, unless you were my very, very close friend, you didn't really know what was going on with me. And that's what I needed to happen because I needed to take the time to process and heal and figure it out and gain my closure and gain my acceptance and my understanding and all of that. And I need to do that on my own and figure that out on my own. I mean, yes, I did have support. I did reach out for EMDR therapy and I had my own coach. And so I had people, um, but it definitely took me time to get there. And, you know, if, if I would have told myself back then that I would be talking about it on a podcast, (laughs) I'd be like, are you crazy? Like, what would I even say? And I'm not even ready. So I needed to find the time to be able to even just articulate my thoughts, you know? Um, The best thing about you is that you talk about it. I mean, I can remember after Mark died that I had many a breakdown in my shed, like working out in the morning and then just taking a minute and saying this, I can't do this. Like, I don't know where you got the strength to handle it all. And it, you know, I, I can remember vividly the moments where I couldn't handle it and it wasn't my husband, you know, but watching you and the strength that you had to go through it and watching you and Jack together and, you know, manifesting this new destiny that was your, you know, that was your, your new reality and your new future was one of the most, um, prominent things that I've ever experienced in my life. I think that that was, that was one of those learning moments that, you know, said to me, this is why you have to teach your children about death being a part of life. Because when it is sudden and when it is unexpected is when that counts. And when you can try your best to prepare yourself for something for the most unimaginable experience, that's when you can say, okay, I've done some of the work. This is not going to help right now, but it's going to help eventually, which Mm -hmm. it did. All of the work that you've done in your entire life has helped you to manifest to this, to this podcast, you know, like you talking about it and you making it normal to talk about death and grief is beyond significant for other people who, for whatever reason they've lost somebody, you know, the way that you're giving back in teaching and honoring Mark's life is, this is exactly what you were meant to do. And you just needed to get there in a, in whatever way you got there. Thank you. You just gave me full body chills. (laughs) Um, What advice before we wrap up, um, what advice can you give to other strong, independent type A people who have lost someone close to them? And again, we all do it differently, but we have a way. (laughs) And 
you know, I'm just curious to hear what you would offer. Well, I would say two things. I was very impacted as a type A personality. I was very impacted by the people who showed up for me when my father passed away. And I was also very impacted by the people who didn't show up for me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize that I was going to care about the people who didn't show up for me, but I cared a lot and it came to manifest itself. Uh, and the people who didn't show up for me are no longer in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, because I realized that what I had learned as a younger person to be there in the best of times is the most important thing, but to be there in the worst of times is even more important. And I needed some people who didn't come through for me and mm-hmm. I could not get over that. I, I I couldn't, I didn't think I would care because I thought I was strong enough. I thought I was strong enough to handle it all on my own, but I, um, I needed certain people who weren't there for me. And And I think that that, and you have every right to feel that, but I think that also speaks to people's discomfort around death and that it's not necessarily like a personal thing. It's just, they can't handle it and they're so uncomfortable. And yes, it shouldn't be about them, obviously, but sometimes when people are faced with really uncomfortable situations, it shows the amount of work they have or haven't done on themselves. And again, not from a judgmental perspective, it's just people, some people just aren't capable the way that you might be. And it's not, it's not necessarily like, it's not a right or wrong. It's just, it is what it is. It is what it is. But you also have the right to say, okay, well, that's not good enough for me anymore. And that's your right as well. And so I think it's all coming from, you know, that space. Yeah. And my, my type A personality, I told them exactly how it made years (laughs) later. It was years later than I realized that for some reason I was pulling away from like one person in particular, but I was pulling away Mm -hmm. and I couldn't figure it. I couldn't figure it out. And I pinpointed it at, at like at that moment that, you know, and I said, I really feel like this is what it was for me. And I had a really good conversation and it's like, because I'm, I'm like right in your, I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm thinking because that's just who I am. And, um, and they just did not respond in a way that was what I had thought. And there was no apology. There was no nothing, not that I needed an apology. Like everybody has to deal with it differently, but I, I, I just needed some sort of, um, response that they could be there for me in the future for things. Mm -hmm. And it didn't seem like that was going to happen. And so that was just, you know, it was just like, as we get older, we, we, people just aren't in our lives anymore. And I realized in that moment that there was, you know, there was no, there was no space for that anymore. And um, so as, as, so I would say, um, that's a really long way of saying, and I hope you cut that down. (laughs) No, I'm keeping it all. You're keeping it on. (laughs) Um, that's a really long way of saying that, um, take a deep breath, do what's best for you in your time. If you're type A and you got to do a million things that make you feel better because that's your personality, then go do them all day long. Organize, be in charge of something, throw yourself into a job, do whatever it is that makes you feel good in the moment 
and deal with it when you are ready, when you're good and ready and, or don't deal with it. Like it's, um, it's not something that we can know how we're going to deal with something at any given time. I don't know that I would deal with another death in the same way. I have no idea. I think everything is in its moment. I feel like I had grieved so much in advance of my father's passing that I was ready to do other things. And I don't think that I was grieving his passing as much as I was grieving him missing certain moments, which I think is very different. I don't at all grieve the fact he had no life. He was bedridden. It was an awful existence. It was not something that I would wish on my worst enemy, but I grieve the things that he's missed. I Mm -hmm. grieve what he has not been able to be a part of, um, the birthdays that have gone by, the the watching his grandchildren grow, um, that those little those are the things I grieve. Not yeah. anything, not not him living a second longer in the body that he had been given, because yeah. that's not a life. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I just, I don't think I would do it any, I don't think I would do it any differently, but I honestly won't know until. Well, and it's look, you know, hopefully we don't have to experience this for another very very long time. Yes. Um, But, you know, different circumstances, you're a different version of yourself than you were 10 years ago and you will be in another year. Like we're, I believe we're always changing and evolving based on what we're given and how we react and respond to it and what we learn along the way. And who you are now is going to be different. And and the next one, hopefully again, not for a very long time, um, you'll just see. And there's you can't judge yourself either way for how you react and respond because it's where you're at in that moment. I do want to say one thing. My sister-in-law, who was a social worker uh, at Papermans in Montreal, said to me before my father died while he was in palliative. She said, I'm going to make you, I'm going to suggest one thing, take pictures, take as many pictures as you can. You might not want to remember him like this, but take a family picture, take pictures of him with your kids. And so we did the girls, if he even, we have him, you know, watching a video, we have him in palliative, um, with the last picture of the four of us for the last time, we have pictures of, of Samantha reading him a book. We have pictures that, I cherish, even though they are in his darkest moments and his last moments, it was the greatest advice I had ever been given. They're pictures that I look at all the time. And I'm so grateful that I have those moments. And, you know, and I, I would say that if you can muster up the courage, if that is the process that is happening in your family, there's a a, a member that's in palliative or that you have a moment before, um, try to try to do that. She was so smart in telling me to do that. I thought it was the weirdest thing in the world. And now I have these very odd, but very poignant and amazing photographs that I will cherish for a lifetime. And it continues to be not, a terrible thing to see him in that state. And I want my children to know that the hospital and death and life and, and the cemetery and a funeral and all of those things show up 
Mm-hmm. Just show up and be there. And that is, that's the life lesson that I was given, whether intentionally or unintentionally. And that is how I want to live my life. And that's how I hope my children live theirs. Well, I love it. And I love you. And I appreciate you sharing so honestly and openly about your experience. And I think it's going to help a lot of people, um, especially us type A kind of people. (laughs) (laughs) And once again, I just, you know, I've told you this a thousand times, but you know, you were an instrumental part in helping me move forward and heal. And you're always there, even when I ask you not to be in the most <laughs> loving way. Um, but, you know, I do love and appreciate you. Yeah, I do love and appreciate you and your food and uh, <laughs> you never wanting me to help. That is like one of the most cherished things. So um, yeah, any crazy, I love you like crazy. I'm going to be always going to be there when you don't want me there. (laughs) And even when I do, yeah, perfect. Just drop it off and ring the doorbell. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Um, all right. Thank you so much. And, um, yeah, we'll talk soon. Like in five minutes, like in five minutes. Stay on, stay on. Okay. Okay, Bye. bye. (laughs) All right, my friends. Thank you so much for listening to this So That Just Happened podcast. I really hope you found value in this episode and that you're walking away with at least one golden nugget that you can implement or feel inspired by. I would be so grateful if you would share it with one friend or family member who is committed to moving forward and transforming their life. Make sure you subscribe so you can catch every new episode and please leave me a review. It would mean so much to me. Also, follow me on Facebook and Instagram at at Coach Carly. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.